0: Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, you'll find two of us around the Desk of Insight discussing matters that have drawn our attention from the hotel investment landscape of the last week or so. You will find us as Andrew Sangster, the Editorial Director of uh, Hotel Analyst, and me, Chris Bound, the Editor of Hotel Analyst. And the first topic we're going to talk about this week is the big IPO. Uh, It's been long-awaited, but finally, uh, Airbnb is uh, has, has announced that within just the next few weeks before the year end it will be uh floating on the u.s stock market um and uh, of course because they've they are now at that point they have to start releasing quite a bit of information about how they've been performing and what's been going on inside their business over the last uh, three years or so which has given us plenty to pour over and have a look at the idea of the float is not necessary to draw in lots more cash for further expansion uh, but it's more driven by the need to provide an exit route for some of the early long-term supporters and staff uh, who got in get in early days uh, at Airbnb and um, so they need an exit route, um, putting some shares out on the market gives them that option. Yet to be revealed exactly how much uh, cash Airbnb might re- might draw in when it floats, but estimates are that perhaps it might just be about about three billion dollars, which in the grand scheme of things is not a major amount of extra cash. Now Airbnb' had a very interesting year, a roller coaster year, like most most other organizations in the accommodation space, um, but they seem to have bounced back reasonably well uh, into the third quarter of this year, um, albeit they're still not making an overall profit, annual profit Uh, and so the cash burn continues. So Andrew you've been poring over the uh, the Mm. documents what are your takeaways from uh, this particular opportunity? Is it one we should all be queuing up for getting our getting our uh, cash out the uh, out of the attic out of our savings account and buying some shares in Airbnb? Where's it going to go?
1: Mm, these are all very good questions chris i mean i did write and have written a monster piece um for (laughs) our um for the perusal of our subscribers so um sort of 16 1700 words um to digest on top of all your good words as well chris so we've got like probably Three thousand words I would think. It's um, a right it's riveting a read. <laughs> but
0: you'll learn a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but there's quite a bit um about it. But um in summary, I guess, um I um, I, I, I guess I come down on the side of the sceptics. I am a Airbnb sceptic. I think it is overhyped. However, there is some bits of substance um underpinning it and and the biggest bit of substance is its brand and there's no question mm. that the brand is powerful i mean you know you airbnb but you don't hilton you don't Marriott, and i think that that says a lot i mean in fact if you look at i mean this is a it's a quasi science um how do you value a brand but um the people that have engaged with it um, i alighted on a, an outfit called brand finance we've referred to in the past and they reckon airbnb is just about the most important brand in the short-term accommodation space it's just behind hilton i think airbnb's brand valuation is ten and a half billion us dollars and hilton's is 10.8 billion us dollars so they're about there pretty much though or everything else in the in the sector is 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 way behind Airbnb and given it's just 13 years old that's quite incredible and hilton's over 100 years old so you know Airbnb has reached this status very very quickly um, the problem I have with Airbnb though fundamentally is I'm looking at it and I'm sort of seeing well where are you going to get the extra growth you reckon you're going to have and they the, as is the want of all these tech types they have some fancy metrics for what's the total size of the market the total available market and they use a, another acronym SAM serviceable addressable market um, which is a slightly smaller version of TAM and it's you know, it's the bit that the company could possibly get to. Um, but I just don't think Sam is realistic either. So in, in very, very broad brush numbers, the bit of the market, the Airbnb service in terms of all short term accommodation globally, it's less than a fifth. Now, the hotel industry represents about two thirds of the overall total and Airbnb hasn't to date been very successful at entering the hotel bit um, and sticking hotels on its platform. I thought it was going to do that when it bought Hotel Tonight um, and it made some announcements about doing that uh, in terms of boutique hotels and I thought this was going to be an entry point and come in and swoop on the rest of the industry and, you know, it'd come go head to head with the likes of Expedia and Booking. Um, but that's not, what airbnb seems to be wanting to do and in fact if you look you know you refer to the bad times it had at covid chris and they slashed 25 percent of the workforce most of those were in in new bits that they were looking at (laughs) including um hotels or potential entry into hotels so i think it's highly unlikely that airbnb is going to go directly into having hotels on its platform therefore if it's going to get its fanciful targets um it's going to hit its fanciful targets it needs to actually just sort of substitute um, private rentals um, holiday rentals call them what you like um, for hotels and I just don't think it's that easy I, I, I just don't see I don't think they're very good substitutes I think people you know look at Airbnb when you know, when when you go, want to go and stay in, in Berlin during ITB, which is the busiest time in Berlin, and the, the city's full, uh, you, you know, you kind of resent paying 300, 400 euros for a, a very ordinary hotel, and you think, well... It's probably, on the, edge, probably something... on the
0: edge of the city as well, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, um, maybe it, we should look at, a, you know, an Airbnb, and indeed, you know, that has been the case. Um, but, you know, it's a distressed purchase. It's not, I wouldn't go there first and i think that's the case for most people and i'm not sure how easy it is to shift that um I, I i just you know there's there's a lot of hype around it and people saying oh airbnb is going to be taking over the the accommodation industry um i'm, I'm just not so sure on that um i i think it's got that I, I think fundamentally brands do have a function and we've talked about the Airbnb brand which is great for attracting and where it's had the big success and something we should just mm. um, take a moment to remark on it. and its big success has been um, against uh, booking and Expedia in that it's getting people to come straight to its website rather than going via Google so booking spent in 2019 4.4 billion us dollars on performance marketing that's a huge number um in the whole marketing spend of airbnb was a quarter of that 1.1 billion and uh, it's just and and what it's spending on performance marketing is is lower and it's it reckons it can carry on spending a lot less this gives it quite a good margin advantage over the two big western OTA rivals Um, you know in in that it doesn't have to spend all this money on Google um, which is which is important Um, but in terms of you know can it now actually start putting hotels on its platform well it doesn't look look like it's going to be able to do that
0: Uh, all the way through uh, COVID the big brands have been telling us that uh, they are the the safe pair of hands that hoteliers who are feeling a bit hard up uh, should be coming to them because they can continue to drive customers to their rooms. um, So why not sign up under a brand? Now uh, that's all very well, but uh, here comes the counter argument and it's come in a a document Delivered by preferred hotel group, who are one of the kind of uh, um, umbrella collection brands, the soft brands, um, who uh, have also had a very good year uh, in signing up additional hotels under their uh, umbrellas. But they do—they de- declare that they actually can deliver better than the big brands, and even during times of crisis, they set out to prove that. It's uh, its a—it's a—it's a slam dunk, isn't it, Andrew? <laughs> or perhaps mm-hmm. not. <laughs> yeah, um, it's interesting. I
1: mean, certainly on the fee thing, I mean, hmm. it's quite interesting. You look at that. So they put the numbers out there, 10 to 12%, which the big brands charge for one of their collection brands. You can sign up with preferred for just 1.4%. Um, that's, that's, that's quite a saving off the revenue. top, yeah. <laughs> that's massive, absolutely massive. Um, in addition to that, what th- th- they're claiming is that, look, look at our numbers, look how well we've done during the past, pandemic we've massively outperformed um these soft brands and indeed the hard brands of of the of the of of the um the major the global majors brand companies um certainly taking it the, the figures at face value, that's probably true but it, it, it is a weird period I mm. mean it's hopefully a period we're never going to see repeated in the industry so I think you have to look beyond that to to, to read too much into it but um, I mean they also claim that I think more importantly that they outperform uh, these the, 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 the hard brands mm. and the soft brands in in more normal periods um unfortunately the the data set wasn't um very uh exposed it wasn't very clear what it was and it's very difficult to dig into it what we got was just a load of the sort of results rather stuff, than yeah. the yeah. yeah rather than actually being able to dig into the detail of it and that that's where you know that's where that's buried um you know anecdotally i i hesitate with these and i, I think these these marketing consortia they've proved much more resilient than i suspected they were going to be um i thought that during the you know the internet was basically going to do for them mm. um because you know they 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 grew up in the pre-internet age they were great glossy brochures which you sort of sat round and looked at the nice pics and said "Well, oh, I fancy going there and that they actually had they were quite powerful <laughs> with that oh I
0: mean, good old days you know, print uh, yeah yeah exactly print. yeah yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah print indeed
1: <laughs> um um and you know we don't you know obviously the internet would would kill that but but it hasn't actually and they've, they've managed to keep together and keep going well um and they, they seem to if anything called you know be growing and as your piece makes clear chris they have added quite a lot of hotels now i rather suspect that that is more from a position of weakness on behalf of the new members mm. than it is from a position of strength they're thinking oh my goodness you know we're in trouble we need to do something now and they've gone to look for something that can drag in some extra business and probably can't afford to switch into one of the, the bigger brands well
0: yeah because yeah, you'll so, pay more fees and you're probably signing a longer term contract so um yeah yeah, yeah
1: perhaps- exactly and and could well have so well not necessarily with the brands with the softer brands but certainly with that you know if you want to do a hard brand you've got to invest quite a bit in getting it up to spec so um i i think fundamentally the issue that you know where. You know, they will start to worry the big brands is if they can convince um, capital that um, they are a viable alternative. And if debt providers and equity capital providers start thinking, well, actually, you know, let's just go to SLH small luxury hotels. Let's just go to preferred. um, They will do the job almost as well or as well as the big brands, Um, and we will rate our debt and rate our equity on the same basis as if it was under a, a big brand, then the big brands are going to be in trouble. Um, we are a little way from that yet. Mm. Um, mm. But, you know, stuff like this, big brands are going to have to respond to this. They're going to have to sort of start coming out with their own um, marketing materials to, to counter this and demonstrate how um, much value they add and bring. I think the most powerful argument um, in the report is that there's been a shift in terms of the demographic and psychographic um um how it, i mean, in consumers in terms of how they look at brands and that they're looking for something more unique and in some ways the big brands themselves have, have um, agreed with this um conception in that they've just got this huge brand portfolio um i mean yesterday we just saw the deal with macor um, and uh and um, en- um to group together their boutique properties to really target this market and i think this you know that just speaks to this what's going on here and i think uh, um, yeah, this is an area where i think th- the big brands are going to have to be a lot clearer on what the umbrella brand does and what the individual smaller brands do and there's a lot of confusion in the industry about this and I, 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 we are as a, a journal generally supportive of brand proliferation and the you know what brands can add in terms of value but I think there's a communication job
0: that needs to mm. be. and of course one of the interesting is uh you know the big the big guys at Marriott bang on about their loyalty programs and how that kind of drives uh, more and more repeat business. But but some of these collection brands are now producing their own uh, loyalty programs and interestingly one of them, SLH, has actually linked up with Hyatt um, and is kind of drawing more and more Hyatt properties um, and its own properties together. So there's, there's some interesting Uh, little experiments going on there yeah it is it is
1: very much so i think that that uh, i think that slh hire thing is certainly one to watch how that evolves but perhaps
0: this Um, year it's just case of both the big brands and the collection umbrella brands are both winning because independents need a port in the storm
1: yeah i i I think that's absolutely right Um, rather than yeah as is claimed in this report, it's independents winning out against um, the big brands. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see. I think short term, I mean, they're probably right, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, that that over the the sort of shutdown periods, um, independents have been more fleet of foot and um, uh, more responsive and they're, arguably better tied into local markets and um, if they're operated by families they're operated by uh, owners that are more closely connected to those local markets so in an environment where local markets are dominating you would expect them to outperform so perhaps perhaps that's that, that that's a reason it, it, it's it's you know we don't still we don't have enough data yet to, to to be clear but it's certainly a challenge for the big brands to come and explain themselves and to justify their existence
0: are all wondering how and when and in what form the recovery will come. And so with that in mind, we've been listening, paying close attention to a couple of recent missives from the market. Uh, Pandox recently had their their markets day, uh, which gave us some colour on on their thinking. And uh, Deloitte, uh, who would normally, of course, be holding a a real conference in London, um, have undertaken to do their... Uh, sentiment survey which has given us some greater color on on where people across Europe think the market is heading. Um, Pandox gave us quite a bit of insight into the way they think running hotels will change and also the ever ebullient Anders Nissen, the CEO of Pandox, was uh, plentiful in his predictions of what may or may not be going to happen to the brands and again launched his, his regular clarion call for uh, more flexible uh, arrangements between landlords and uh, operators. Um, was there anything new in, in what he said, Andrew? Well, it's interesting I, I mean i think
1: pandocs are you know one of the shrewdest operators out there um and you know they grew out of a period like this you know the it's at the old securum holdings and it's it's you know it was a a period of peak pain, if you like, that that led to the formation of what is now Pandoc. So they are well versed in what happens in periods like this, and um, is certainly somebody worth listening to in that in in that regard. But I think we need a little bit of caution too in in, in overthinking the changes that have occurred. Th- due to the pandemic you know one thing we've we've repeated over and over is that really the pandemic has accelerated change rather than been a cause of change and I'm quite skeptical about claims that said all the pandemics changed everything forever I don't think it has actually I think in most cases it speeded up things which were already in train but uh, um, there was already an underlying reason for them to occur um, pre-pandemic and in a post-pandemic world um you, you know you've, you've got to be careful thinking that you know having things like selective um, room cleaning or or restricted menus are necessarily going to be the way forward uh, i I'm increasingly optimistic about the nature of the upturn. um i think we've we, we had a change in tone on this podcast a few weeks ago um once we had the vaccine news and it's looking more and more like we're going to have a very very strong recovery this is a very odd recession um in terms of it's been very deep very profound um we heard this afternoon we're recording this just after the uk chancellor of the exchequer the finance um chief got up got up on his feet and and gave the uh, um spending review um and um, he said that in the uk it was the worst recession in 300 years a gdp drop of 11.3 percent massive but uh, looking forward, well, we're going to have the I biggest recovery see, in 300 years <laughs> yeah no probably not but we will have a, you know a, a, a lot stronger recovery than we've seen out of the most mm. recent recessions um so uh, you know look at the goldman sachs um they the, their chief economist had a piece out which um just before the vaccine news actually um which is very optimistic and their their latest output uh, from a different part of the firm was e- equally optimistic and they're talking about six percent growth globally uh next year which is it is much faster than we've seen in recent times um and whilst europe is probably going to be towards the end of next year before it gets back to where it was the fact that we're in a period of rapid upturn i think is is going to be um create a very different feel um, in, in 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 the economy and around it. And you've got to remember that, although there's been a huge amount of pain, a lot of people have lost jobs. And I have to say, not as many as I feared. I mean, it doesn't look like we're gonna go into double digits in terms of unemployment, which mm-hmm. is great, great news. Um, but there's still a lot of people who have lost a job. There's a lot of pain out there but there's also a lot of people who've done very well in this recession there's a lot of people who've saved a lot of cash and they're going to want to spend that cash um mean, you know, up here in Cambridge I'm sitting in a in, in a city where you know the bulk of the population um are involved in in things which haven't been dramatically impacted by the recession they're involved in healthcare they're involved in tech they're involved in um pharma and um, all of those industries have had a very good period um hospitality which is a significant employer actually even here in cambridge has been devastated as everywhere else but that will come back all of those other people they're going to want to spend all that cash they've got they haven't been able to go out (laughs) um for you know and they won't be able to go out till probably at least easter in a a proper way um and you know at that point they're going to want to to let rip i suspect um and you know it's gonna be very interesting because we've got a period where that, that a lot of businesses have gone bust so if you look at the high street particularly in terms of casual dining for example which had had a problem a secular issue in that there are far too many casual dining
0: oh yes even um, even before the downturn there was far too far too many people 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 were hooked consumers were hooked on on vouchers discount vouchers you know to yeah
1: okay you know totally i agree but but coming out of this those a lot of those mm. are shut um and there's lots of people wanting to go out and spend money um but the supply has been significantly constrained and you, you don't need to be you know to have a degree in economics to to understand that if you've. Constrained supply significantly and demand shoots through the roof it's going to be a bumper time for those people still left in the market they're going to be able to push prices up and you know enjoy very very strong trading and i suspect we'll see a lot of that now the interesting that i mean i think at the outset of the recession chris we had lots of chat about what shape um the recession was going to be v, going
0: a j be, uh, a nike uh, swoosh a view
1: <laughs> yeah yeah all of this okay well, was uh, is also one of those i don't think we talked a lot about a k but that that a k K-shaped recession is one where the one bit of the K, you know, it, it's the likes of the farmer and the tech companies we referred to. They're in the top bit, and in the bottom bit of the K, uh, are, are, are businesses like hospitality, which have really suffered. Now. I think the K shape has explained the recession, but how much of it is is it going to explain the upturn? How much of hospitality is gonna be shifting to the upper bit of the K and actually having a really good boom back? I think it's gonna be more than many people think. Um, I think business travel will come back a lot quicker than people um, are currently um, Mm. penciling in. Um, I think people are saying, well, look how slow it took to come back last time. Well, that's true, but it was a terrible recovery was barely a recovery out of the 2008 crash i mean, it was just you know we just dribbled along well it's not going to be like that and i suspect companies which are slashing their travel budgets will have to revisit that quite quickly once things start start happening and they realize that all their competitors are out there on the road actually getting new business um so i i, I remain um I've I've switched from being an Uber <laughs> bear into a. a, a You're yeah, keeping it going, fantastic. Guess, still. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, you know, I still think with that. I think you know. Don't make me no mistake. This we, we are in. You know, we're still in mm-hmm. the dark tunnel. We've got a, and and it's three, four, five months long before we start coming out of that. But by the summer, um it's pretty clear. You know, we we are going to be in a very very different environment to the one we're in, and, and there's going to be quite a lot of people out there with with big piles of cash that they're looking to spend there's going to be you know a significant number who who have been significantly Mm. hit economically but how that balances out with with the supply situation looking um quite different to how it was going in um it's going to be an interesting an
0: interesting well and on that positive note we'll wish you farewell